Welcome to Restoration Church. This is Pastor Rachel. We are coming into the, I guess, the home stretch of our Good Life series. Uh, we've got one more next week, but we've been talking about the good life and what does it look like. And we often think we know what the good life is, and we've been trained in the culture that we were raised in, maybe in the environment that we were formed in. But we have been talking about how if we look at Scripture, it is often a very different view of what the good life is. And so we've been tackling different topics each week. I hope you can go back and and listen to some of those. But today, I want to talk about generosity. You see, generosity is this idea that we would give more of something, maybe money or time or other resources, than is strictly necessary or expected. So someone does something generous, it's above and beyond, and it kind of overwhelms you sometimes because you know that that was more than they had to do. So think for a second of a generous act that you have been on the receiving end of. Do you have that picture in your mind? And I bet it brings a smile to your face because it makes you feel kind of like special that someone went to greater lengths than normal to do something for you. Well, here's what we're going to say. You have heard it said, Generosity means giving more than expected. But I say to you, generosity is giving in a way that costs something, that trusts that there is enough and expresses love well. Generosity is a lifestyle, not just this random act of kindness or even an intentional act of kindness. It's a way of thinking, of being. It means viewing the world through a generous or a healthy eye, as we see in our reading today in Matthew 6. Now, I'm going to give you a little context for our passage that we'll be spending some time in. And our passage is Matthew 6, 22. But let me tell you that it's prefaced with Jesus teaching about not storing up for yourself treasures on earth. It's after we have this passage, it talks about no person can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. And then it ends that chapter with this whole kind of a longer passage about not worrying that even the birds and the flowers in the field, the lilies, they're cared for by God. And so the very last sentence of chapter six is, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we're going to go back to our passage in 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, in this series of teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus challenging us in many different ways to get beneath the rules to the heart of the matter. So we're going to look to the heart of generosity. Now, we now know that the eye is passive. But back in the day when this was written... They didn't believe that. They believed that the eye was active, that it actually emitted light. So now we know that, you know, if your lens is clear, it allows the light to pass through. And then that light is focused by the cornea and the lens onto a thin layer of tissue we call the retina. And then that kind of works like the film in a camera, that when the light hits the retina, these little tiny cells collect all that light and they convert them 
into these electrical signals, which are then sent to your optic nerve and the brain, which then that presents those images that we see. And so it starts with light coming from the outside in. But remember, in this time, they imagined that the light was truly the lamp of the body. It gave out light. And so there, if, if you think about that term, an evil eye, they truly believed that people could have evil eyes and do damage with the light from within their eyes. So let's read that through again, thinking about this idea of the eye being a lamp in the context in which it was written. So the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, meaning the lens is clear and it allows light to pass through, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, think cloudy lens, light cannot get through, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So when we think of a healthy eye, we think of this clear lens, this holistic, this whole versus this sick, unhealthy eye that's dysfunctional and a cloudy lens. Or if we want to think of it ethically, we'll think of this pure and generous and sincere eye versus this evil and selfish and grudging and wicked eye. What this reminds us of and that Jesus was trying to say is the character of a person determines whether their eyes function from a place of health or sickness. As Christ followers, this is a game changer for us. Our character determines how we look at the whole world. Yikes! We have a responsibility to keep our lenses clean so that the light of Christ can pass through and form these images that our brains see. We want to look at the world through this lens of Christ-likeness. And we're going to go just a little deeper in understanding of this healthy eye because if we look at other scriptures, we can see that the word healthy in this way that this was used in Matthew 6 also implies a generosity. Proverbs 22, 9, for instance, those who are generous, meaning they have a generous eye, are blessed or happy, as we talked about a few weeks ago, for they share their bread with the poor. Now, there's another book called the Sirach. It's a Jewish book, and it's not in our canon of scriptures, but it was in the same time frame. And this is how Sirach describes this. Evil is the man with a grudging eye. He averts his face and disregards people. A greedy man's eye is not satisfied with a portion. And mean injustice withers the soul. A stingy man's eye begrudges bread and it is lacking at his table. Do you hear that? That a grudging eye, a non-generous eye is the language used. That it would avert and disregard people, never be satisfied, be unjust, begrudge bread, even the most simple of things for people. So what does generosity look like from a scriptural point of view? The first thing is that generosity costs something. It's a sacrifice. We have this idea of first fruits, um, in the Old Testament that when it was an agrarian culture and also it was a warrior culture. So when they would go out and bring back the spoils of war, a portion of those or a tithe of those would go to the temple for the work of the temple. So you had your 12 uh, tribes and one of them was the Levitical tribe and they didn't go to war. 
because they were set apart for this holiness within the temple. So the other 11 tribes did go to war and they would bring back to the temple for the care and the upkeep of the people that cared for the temple as well as the temple. And also, if anything that was grown, the first fruits were taken to the temple again for the care for sacrifice uh, for the people who worked in the temple. Well, in Second Samuel 24, someone's trying to give David uh, something for sacrifice. His name's Arana. And he says, David says this, no, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. You see, there's a cost. If David was going to sacrifice, he was going to give something to God. He was going to be generous in his prayers. He wanted it to cost him something. The second thing that generosity does that it trusts in a God who, according to Ephesians 3.20, by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. I think so often we get caught up in this lack of trust. And so we become very begrudging. We want to hold back. We want to hoard anything that we have because we're kind of, we don't say it out loud, but we're kind of afraid that there's not going to be enough. And we're not sure we do trust God, but then we've also seen real stories where people went without. And so we're trying to balance that tension of trusting in a God who is able to do more abundantly than all that we can ask and imagine. And those real experiences where people don't get more than they can ask or imagine. And so this is a spiritual discipline, this looking at the world through this generous eye, through this generous eye that would sacrifice this generous eye that would trust that God will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God of provision, but we're very much sure that we participate in that. And yes, we do. Of course we work and we participate with God, but ultimately do we trust that all good things come from the father up above? The third point that I want to make is that generosity loves well. You see, Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing to earn it is basically what it's saying. We were still lost, not even aware of our sins sometimes. And yet God sent his son as a sacrificial lamb for us. And then in John fifteen thirteen. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I think that we need to, it's not always laying your life down as in death. Sometimes I think what we need to do is lay down our preferences, life as we want it, life as we imagine it, life as, you know, our version of life. We lay it down. If God calls you to, to lay it down, lay down your preferences that's generosity. And so to live through this generous lens, through this generous eye, through this healthy, this good eye, and God knows we want to live with a good eye. We want to see this beautiful world that God's given us through his eyes. 
We have to offer something to God that costs us something sometimes. We have to trust in his abundance. We have to love others well by laying down our life or even laying down a version of our life to prefer one another. Now that isn't so that we can have a measuring stick that this is what it looks like. Every single person has a different calling. Every unique created being has their own relationship with God. And then collectively we have accountability as well. And so God calls different people. He equips different people. He resources different people differently. But somehow within that equipping and resourcing, we are called to be generous people. So back to Matthew 6, when we look at verses 19 through 21 concerning treasures, do not store up for yourself. And we think about it through this healthy eye this whole teaching that threads through that chapter, we think, oh, it's not that you can't save for your retirement. It's not that you can't save money, but it's that you don't do it in a way that makes the saving or the treasures is not where your heart is. Your heart is toward the things of God. And he may call you to save. He may call you to save in order to help others in bigger ways. I don't know what he does, but I know that our heart has to be with God. Again, it doesn't mean we can't make money. It doesn't mean we can't save money, but we have to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added. We have to do this with this healthy eye. We have to look with this generous eye. And then we look at verse 24, where no person can serve two masters. What Jesus is saying is, with a healthy eye, you're going to serve God, not anything else. And so that is already going to purify you, to just put set your heart on one, not trying to be both. You can't have a foot in both the world and in the kingdom. Yes, we live here. We are here. But yet our minds are attached to kingdom thinking. See, we are positionally in heaven, and that is so hard to grab a hold of, and it's something you do by faith, and you just choose over and over to remind yourself that keep my my thoughts on things above. And then finally, in the, ver- the final verses, 25 through 34, so if we have this generous eye, if we have this healthy eye, if we're looking at the world through this lens that Jesus is talking about, why would we worry? If we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added. Don't you know that we serve a God who loves us and who delights in giving us all these good things? He created this world in ways that just stun us with its beauty and its abundance and the way it just stirs us. That's that's the kind of God we serve. That's that's the kind of God who will delight in giving you all good things, but you have to seek first him. So you even know and recognize a good thing from a bad thing. Sometimes the things we want aren't even good. And so seeking first the kingdom of God aligns us with this kingdom mindset of what is good. That changes everything when we look at these passages. We can trust God because we seek him and we're in alignment with what the kingdom thinking would be in this situation. And some of the things that might cloud our lenses, keep us from operating out of a generous faith, keep us in this mindset of scarcity. Maybe it's your childhood. Maybe it's your adulthood. Maybe you've been without. 
Maybe you've had scarcity. Sometimes it's, it's just wanting to control the outcomes. And so you have to be involved in every aspect and have to know how it all starts, middle, end, and can't truly trust in the goodness of God. Sometimes it's just fear. Fear of maybe not being enough for God, that maybe he doesn't really love you, but he does. He loves each of us so much. And, and, and it's, again, we're talking about some spiritual disciplines here of trusting God, of believing that he loves you, of that counter narrative of all the voices that would say that he doesn't. Did God really say, yes, he did. He said that he is delighted in us, that we are his beloved. It's interesting. I was doing some, you know, internet searching on this topic and I came across this article in Forbes magazine and it was titled Moving from Scarcity to Abundance by Caroline Castrillon. But it was so interesting. <laughs> it, you literally could lift these five points that she makes out of scripture. Number one, focus on what you have. Okay. Being content, right? Scripture tells us to be content in all things. Number two, surrounding yourself with people who have an abundance mindset. Forsake not the assembly. And that assembly is because we gather with people who get it, who say, yes, God is incredibly abundant. And we don't have to hoard anything he gives us because he'll give more. Number three, create win-win scenarios. As Christians, we should always never, or we should always make sure that the person that we're in transaction with doesn't feel like we took advantage of them. That somehow they should feel like they too, their needs were met. They were honored in this situation. Number four, incorporate gratitude in your daily life. In everything, give thanks. And number five, she ends with train your mind to recognize possibilities. And this is coming to what I keep saying, the spiritual disciplines of living in this kingdom mindset. Even when the narrative around you says something different. Pull it back in. But Jesus said, you know, go to that Sermon on the Mount. What does it look like to live with a generous eye? And do that. Believe it. Live it. You know, we hear this phrase, the eyes are the window to the soul. So what do others see when they look at your eyes? Are your eyes clear or are they clouded? When people look into your eyes, do they see a willingness to sacrifice? Do they see an abiding trust in God? Do they see a non-transactional love? There's a famous story in the Bible that's always used when we talk about generosity or tithing or giving or abundance, and that is the widow's offering. And it's in Mark 12, starting in verse 41. And Jesus sits down opposite the treasury and watches the crowd put money into the treasury. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow, she comes along and she puts in two small copper coins, which are worth about a penny. And then Jesus calls his disciples over and he says this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You see, Jesus is talking about living with a generous eye. You know, we talked a month or so ago, maybe longer, about poverty 
and poverty of spirit and blessed are the poor and happy are the poor. But sometimes that's poor of spirit. It might be poor of finance. It might be poor of position. It might be poor of power. But we live from this position of this generous eye in all of those places. And we know that that requires sacrifice and trust and love for God and those he places in your path. Now, this story isn't necessarily about tithing, although that's how it's been taught. And tithing is important. I mean, we're a church. We talk about that mainly because we need to have a relationship with our money where we realize that every single thing we have, our money, even our ability to earn money, our talent, our intelligence, our common sense, our work ethic, our value system, all of these come from God. And do we believe that even as we take ownership of the gifts he's given us and we develop in these areas, do we still believe that they originate from God or are we saying, look what I've done? You see, our language as Christians should be, look what he has done through me. That's a generous eye. So this story is about the widow who is creating the right environment for a healthy or a generous eye. She is sacrificing. She is trusting and she is loving well, we imagine. So let us live generously like everything we have is his. And let us live generously like everything he has is ours. Jesus is talking to his father before he's crucified in John 17. And he says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And because we are co-heirs with Jesus, we have that same synergy with God. All he has is ours. Do we believe that? Because if we do, it's not hard for us to believe that all we have is his. And it's this beautiful circle of God pouring out and us pouring out and then him pouring more and us pouring out more. And it's a beautiful way to live. And so that's our challenge is this week to think about as you get up in the morning, God, help me to have a generous eye. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of your abundance. That, Lord, we don't have to live in scarcity. As your your followers, we can trust that what you say is true. Lord, you have told us that abundantly far and above more than we could need or ask that you will provide. So, Lord, teach us to seek you first. Teach us to seek the kingdom. Teach us to look at the world through the generous eye of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.